It's that was literally batting practice speed. No, it's uh, much slower than batting practice speed because he's not throwing it from 40 feet. Minor league clubs do not pay minor league players. They do not pay minor league managers. They do not play pay minor league trainers. Who's the trashiest team in the league and why is it the Royals? <laughs> you give me the tough questions. And welcome to episode 19 of Artificial Turf Wars, where every winning streak starts with a loss. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? Enjoying some baseball. Uh, this is a, a crazy, crazy week, and it's long because we recorded early to be topical about Tulowitzki's return to Colorado last week. So we've got a lot of games in between our last podcast and in honor of that uh the fact that this is number 19 that raft of games includes a 19 inning game yay <laughs> do you think the jays did that on purpose for us no uh it's the only good thing i could take from that so absolutely <laughs> okay <laughs> now the jays are you you told me a minute ago and i i asked you to redo the math they are what is their record since we last podcasted Seven and two. They Seven won the last two. two in Colorado and then lost two to Cleveland and then have won five in a row. That is a most excellent uh, week in a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't complain with that. So there a lot happened, of course, even if we were only to do a regular number of games. The 19 inning game. First of all, if I'm not mistaken, Marcus Stroman started that game. Um, I have the box score. That would be an unfortunate thing for Mr. Stroman. So it's hard to remember that. It's hard to remember that a whole bunch of people got it. No, he did. I just meant like like he pitched so well and then yeah. he just like, eh, no decision after all these terrible outings. Um and then we forgot I almost forgot anyway about uh Vic Crappy Pasta Carapazza whatever his name is. <laughs> uh just madly ejecting people everywhere. There's a lot to unpackage from that game. Yeah. Obviously it started with and Canesion getting tossed in the first inning for being unhappy at a ball strike call. I mean, it didn't even look like he was animated until yeah. after he got ejected. Then he got pretty animated. And then he put his hands behind his back like a good boy, but a little too late uh, for the Major League Baseball disciplinary office. So he got, he got a game suspension for disciplinary, uh, for, sorry, incidental contact is what they usually call that, don't they? Yeah, well, just for contact with an official. Which um, he's just, he's appealing it now as an umpire. That was probably my favorite rule in all of baseball, even as a minor baseball umpire. <laughs> you can't touch the umpire uh, because at least I knew I had the idea of safety there, even if I did something. But did dumb. you have a god complex like Vic Carapaza? Well, I don't know. You've listened to me for a couple of years now. Do I have a god? <laughs> Do I have Do a you god? Want me to answer? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't become an umpire without a little bit of self-importance, really. It's okay. I know whatever answer I give, you're just going to change it in editing. It's quite possible. There's a lot of words <laughs> you've said over the years. I could put whatever in there we want. Uh, of course, that 19-inning game did not end well. Apparently, uh, old Vic just set himself up to torture himself because the Jays had a lot less offense and only scored one run for the first 18 innings of the whole game. 
And then Cleveland decided not to score any runs either, which meant that the Blue Jays had position players pitching in important games, in important yeah. innings. It's very rare that you see a position player in a, in a position to get a loss. Yeah. It happened. I mean, Goins somehow got out of his inning, which was incredible, by inducing a double play ball with the bases loaded. On the very first pitch of the at-bat, if I'm not mistaken, and it was like, it was a change-up. <laughs> yeah, and he's throwing breaky balls. There's actually a really fun piece on this topic that was put up on Baseball Prospectus on Monday. Mike Son, who we've had on this podcast a few times, who does the stuff rankings, did one for all of baseball's position player pitchers since Pitch FX started. Which is awesome. Yeah, Goins ranks as the third best stuff. Well, he he definitely brought it. I, was Cliff Pennington high up on the list? I, I have not. Unfortunately, he didn't have pitch FX for a postseason, so he didn't oh, count. Man, I'm sure Cliff had Cliff had four pitches really working for him. Um, <laughs> now, I, I do remember an extra inning game where a Phillies infielder had to pitch three innings and threw like 40-something pitches back in like 2009 or 2010 and everyone thought that that was amazing i or guess last year when the, when the bullpen phone didn't work and jeff vancouver had to throw 40 something <laughs> that was just wrong um so we we have that and then um goins overexerts himself and ends up on the disabled list but maybe he's only on the disabled list because uh as a he, thank you yeah as a thank you slash we didn't want to push you down to the minors which was the other thing we were going to do when we ran out of people and arms and everything else. And then he was replaced by Darwin Barney, who had a pretty decent inning until he gave up the game-winning home run. Which happened to be the first battery face. <laughs> but I mean, overall, if you take it as a whole, you yeah. know, whole inning, it was, it was pretty good. Yeah, you know. he got out Kipnis, Lindor, and Napoli. And he struck out Napoli, right? Yeah, he was... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Napoli heard a lot of that from when he got back to the clubhouse. But, you know, it was just one of those games. And it was there was a lot of really bad execution. Like, both teams were leaving, like, runners on second and third, nobody out, don't score. Next inning, first and third, no one out, don't score. It's like, oh, my God, does nobody want to win this game? The Blue Jays loaded the bases on three different occasions. Nothing. Yeah. And like I mean, just the law of averages. If 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 the average on base percentage of the average player is around three thirty, three twenty, somewhere in there, if you have the bases loaded three times, one of those times somebody should get on base. Nothing. Um, so that was the sad, sad part of this. And then it it started to get a lot better. The next. The next uh, night, they scored nine runs, one nine six, my favorite number. Uh, <laughs> and then they came out with a, just an absolute d- destruction of Corey Kluber, like three and, and a third innings and five yeah. runs. Yeah, and then then in the sixth inning, Gores Lanning came in and gave up seven in one third of an inning. The, the, there are so many insane things out of the seventeen run game. Uh, the Blue Jays walked 10 times. They struck mm. out five. Yeah, which was quite a switch from the day before where they struck out 18 times. Yeah, it, it was it, between Kluber, Chamberlain, and Gorzolani, th- that was the 10 walks. That, that means before the fifth inning, the Jays had walked 10 times. They just completely destroyed Cleveland 
Donaldson had was four for four. Um, two doubles for Saunders, two doubles for Encarnacion. Uh, home run for Martin, uh, home run for Tulowitzki. So I'm going to stop at Tulowitzki just to sort of get your thoughts on what he's been doing over the last couple of weeks, because I think that's an important shift. Yeah. I mean, today, notwithstanding, where he was 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, for the most part, he's looked like Troy Tulowitzki. Um, It's not just the home runs, which obviously have been amazing. He's got, I think it's eight of them since returning from the DL. But it's just the it's the hard line drive hits on fastballs that we weren't seeing. He's actually he's being aggressive and making contact, which it could just be he's comfortable. It could be that he's healthy. Who knows? But he looks like the all star that everybody thought we were going to be getting last year. Yeah, I, I haven't seen him really roll over on a ball and, and softly ground out somewhere. I, if he's done it, great. But it just what sticks in my mind is these rockets, even the ones that are caught are are just it looks like 100 miles an hour off the bat everywhere even if it's if Mm -hmm. it's not you know 400 feet it's just just ripped and it's like okay uh thank you because we were told that you could do this on a regular basis and you finally we're here i'm so happy um there is awesome yeah and I hope he continues to be awesome. We don't know. Um, oh, and the, sorry. The last thing about the 17 run game is for the second game in a row, we got a position player pitching. Not second game in a row. Sorry. Two out of three. My bad. But we got uh, the position player in the more typical situation, which yes. is, of course, in a blowout when nothing really matters. Cleveland yeah. is their backup catcher. His outing was a lot worse than the Blue Jays guys. <laughs> well, first of all, his first pitch came in at 65 miles an hour. Yeah, he was throwing change-ups, and Game Gabe was classifying them as knuckleballs. Is it a change-up if you never really throw over 70? <laughs> That's Jamie Moyer. It's, that was literally batting practice speed. No, it's uh, much slower than batting practice speed because he's not throwing it from 40 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so, he literally got batting practiced uh justin smoke as i recall uh, again i was at the game i don't score the games but he had uh he was 0 for 5 until he faced jimenez yeah he jimenez. Uh, and he took him deep so that was his you're off the hook um <laughs> i did have a question about the the winning streak for cleveland sure would you be happy as a blue jays fan if a winning streak was ex- extended by a home run off of a position player of course I would. Who cares? How embarrassed would you be if two position players in the 13th and 14th had actually managed to shut you out to end your 13 or 14 game winning streak? <laughs> because it's, that was the alternative, well, right? <laughs> as Jays fans, we've never actually had one of these, so it's hard to compare. But I think the answer is just that you, at some point, you just like, you know what? We won 14 games in a row. I don't care anymore. <laughs> if it was going to end, it was going to end on something crazy like that. Yeah. Incredible. So the Blue Jays are trying to get themselves into that winning streak position because they've won every game uh, since that ridiculous 19 inning disaster. Yeah. They uh, just swept the crappy Royals, which is, you know, that's nice, nice revenge. Obviously, it's not the postseason, but who cares? Mm-hmm. They beat them up good. The Royals have a lot of people playing for them right now. I don't recognize. Yeah, they're not healthy. And their pitching sucks. 
Yeah, Chris Young didn't didn't uh, fare very well. Like Chris Young, what happened to him last night was what everybody thought the Jays were going to do to him in the playoffs. Well, this year it's special. He's given up 26 home runs in 60 innings. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) That's bad, man. So the all-time record for home runs in an entire season is 50 by Blylevin still. Blylevin, yeah, but you do that in almost 300 innings. That's what I was thinking was was probably a lot more than... So 120 innings if if, uh, Young keeps this up? And he's he's broken the the record. Yeah. Think, do they have anybody to replace him with? I guess we'll find well, out. Chris Medlin, the guy who was supposed to do it, left his start with pain in the minors. So who knows? Dylan G. Basically, the Royals pitching is in dire straits. And Wade Davis, their ace reliever, is injured. Yeah. It seems to me like there there are very few good-looking starting rotations in baseball this year from teams that you might expect to have decent starting rotations. I know the Royals were never supposed to have a great one. But Boston's is... Ugh. New York's is... Uh, is Tanaka. And maybe... Eovaldi on a good day. Spathy is pitching pretty well this year, but basically there's a lot of bad pitching. The Jays are the outlier in the division. Yeah, it's, and that's really weird to see. Of course, the Orioles have no discernible... Thir- fourth or fifth starter. Or second or third. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, they have no pitching either. It's just the Jays. <sighs> so if the Jays put the offense that suddenly came started coming together uh, with that excellent pitching, my goodness, the sky's the limit. Well, and we're seeing it right now, right? They've won five in a row against good teams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that means that some of them might be all-stars. Yeah, uh, this, they were announced last night. We're recording this Wednesday. The Jays are sending, at the moment, three players to the All-Star game. I have to start with the best one, Marco Estrada. <laughs> yeah, we'll and get into that. We'll, we'll, we'll break we'll down back those to that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, Josh Donaldson's going, as expected, and Encarnacion, since they take two DHs, was pretty much a lock to go as well. And Michael Saunders is up for the final vote, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you, unless you're, you've got some kind of tr- crazy voting contingent like uh, like Chicago or like Kansas City last year, really, three All-Stars, starters or no, is, is, a, is a very good representation in my mind. Um, now back to Mr. Estrada. Yeah, it really sucked for him. I mean, he was so excited to be named to the All-Star team because I mean, who would expect it that other than, you know, me? <laughs> <laughs> he was also named to the DL, Josh. I know. Thing I know. Well, that's the thing. Here. Well, I was getting to that. He was very happy. He was so excited about going, and then now he he's not going to be able to pitch. He'll still go, I think, but you know, it still sucks, right? Although and it could be good for another Blue Jay. Yes, because uh, there was a discussion on the broadcast tonight that uh, Ned Yost came over to John Gibbons, and he mentioned, uh, this is courtesy of Jerry um, from the radio, that uh, one of his three or four players that he's looking at replacing Estrada with is Aaron Sanchez which would be really cool for him in his second full season. Um, and he certainly deserves a look, especially after his recent performance. Last, uh, last start, eight innings full. Look Against Yost's team. Yeah. And he looked magnificent. And he has yeah. all year. I think he's... I, I would be surprised if, not just with Estrada going up, but Davis 
can't make it anymore. And if a couple of those starting pitchers throw on Sunday, they can't pitch. I would be surprised if Aaron Sanchez doesn't end up getting named to the team. Which would be awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I think Michael Saunders has it in tough, personally. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he's going to win that vote. It's too many guys from popular teams. Yeah, I- including, uh, well, I'm sure there's horrible puns to be made about all of them, right? That's how they pick those guys. Some kind of horrible gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it'll be interesting to track. Uh, you can, of course, vote for Michael Saunders if you'd like to prove us wrong. My understanding is uh, if you text... Pardon me. If you text 101010 with A4, that is a vote for Michael Saunders. Yep, and you can do it online, and then you come Friday, you can do it by tweeting hashtag VoteCaptainCanada. But only on Friday for the hashtags. Correct. Just because MLB decided to make this as complicated and convoluted as possible. Yep. (laughs) It's the best way to keep people on their toes. Okay. Did I get all of our uh, all of our things here? Do we need one more? We should talk about one pitcher who is not going to the All-Star game, but who many thought if there was going to be a Blue Jays starter going, it would be him coming the season and at the beginning of the season. Marcus Stroman is looking a lot better. Yeah, that's uh, tonight was eight innings of two run ball. Mm-hmm. And I think it was either 77 pitches. Yeah, he gave him gave himself a, a light. Oh, no, sorry. He entered the, the eight, eight. With 77 pitches. He threw 85 pitches in eight innings, which is crazy. Yeah. And and but for a uh, a wayward home run ball, he may have gotten to pitch the ninth. Yeah, his ground out to fly out, I it can't do it as a ratio because it was fourteen and zero. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> it's pretty good. So I mean, and he's making adjustments. He's throwing again. We talked about this, but he's throwing his his slider a lot harder than his curveball now. And he's actually essentially junked the curveball. He's just going to the slider. So it's not like the same breaking pitches over and over again. And he's throwing cutters through more cutters than anything else in this game, and even more than the sinker. And of course, I made the note on Twitter as a joke uh, to the, the pod account last week that he did, in fact, get a batter out by elevating the four seam fastball. For a yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, but he's making adjustments, as we talked about. Like we, we mentioned that, like there was good signs. By the fact that he was trying to fix it. And, well, it seems to be working at this point. I'm not just that I wasn't ready to proclaim him, proclaim him done before. I'm not ready to proclaim him fixed. But it's a, it's looking good. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think absolutely the, the we've got to wait and see thing always applies um, hmm. to any adjustment, right? Because there's this... There's always the adjustment to the adjustment that comes up. But I, I certainly have good feeling about it um the fact that marcus stroman is still the worst starter on the team by era is magnificent because <laughs> yeah all, other, all the other four guys are under three or under four with two of them under three yeah which is fantastic this is not the rotation that we thought we had at the beginning of the season and i'm perfectly happy with that yep um we do have some questions i think that relate to that coming up uh, but first is all important is that we uh, get to an interview. Um, there was a little story that turned into a big story about something called the Save America's Pastime Act. 
which was about how minor leaguers are paid. Now, rather than try and get into those details here, um, we're going to talk to someone who's done more research on the subject, and that's Kate Morrison of Baseball Prospectus, and we're going to talk to her about what it means for minor leaguers uh, right now and in the future. And we'll be right back with her after this. And we are privileged to be joined by Kate Morrison of Baseball Prospectus. Welcome for the very first time to Artificial Turf Wars, Kate. Thank you guys for having me. Now, we brought you on for a specific reason, which was uh, there has been a a little ruckus, shall we say, about uh, House Resolution number 5580, the Save America's Pastime Act, uh, which has gotten a lot of people up in arms, and, and it's about minor leaguers and their pay. But maybe you could tell us a little more about exactly what... Uh, the Save America's Pastime, which seems like I'm going to find out it's a really ironic name for something very shortly, um, is all about. First off, what is the, the general rating of this podcast? Because that that determines how strongly I can speak on what an absolute Family low... show. <laughs> I don't know. He's got a bleep button. Say what you want to say. <laughs> well, then, I mean... It is an absolute load of nonsense. It is completely and utterly misleading. It is, frankly, um, both unethical and is trying to write in an illegal loophole into something that is, you know, in order to pay people illegally low. It is, uh, that sentence made no sense, but we're going to forge on here. It is frankly terrible and anyone and everyone who has supported it should be ashamed of themselves. So I, I just to, to sort of, I, I read over basically the only thing in this resolution is it says that it, it is actually amending a section of the fair labor standards act in the States, which I assumed is what like in Canada here, we have the minimum wage standards act in each province. Is that what the fair labor standards act is trying to help? So, I mean, this gets complicated depending on how many of your listeners are Canadian because the U S is really dumb. (laughs) Um, anyway, so there is the nationally mandated minimum wage, which is, uh, managed and, you know, partially, uh, administrated, through this Fair Labor Standards Act, which states that, you know, if you meet a certain set of qualifications, so, I mean, and this is where you get into interns and whatever, but if you make, you know, if you work a certain number of hours a week, or if you have a certain level of responsibility, or this or that, you are entitled to a fair, and you know, a fair wage. So, right now, the national, uh, the nationally mandated, um, Minimum wage is seven twenty five an hour, which is not actually a living wage, but that's a uh, that's that's a discussion for further on down the line. <laughs> Different states have state mandated minimum wages for the uh, and so I know I think I'm pretty certain that California's is higher, and there are a couple of other places states that have higher minimum wages mandated for the companies within their state. Basically, what this is trying to do is trying to make, as a class, minor league baseball players exempt from fair labor standards. Now, I have to preface everything with I am not a lawyer, so my my understanding is very broad and maybe in some places slightly incorrect, but that is my understanding as someone who has done a lot of research 
particularly pertaining to internships, which may or may not be exempt from fair labor standards slash minimum wage slash all of these various things. Um, so basically, this is a this is this was a set of two House representatives, one of whom who has now um, uh, who almost immediately retract the one who introduced it and then almost immediately retracted her retracted her support of the bill um, who introduced this resolution. Um, they both have gotten money from Major League Baseball backed lobbyists or backed, um, not lobbyists, but, oh, super, not lobbying groups. Oh, okay. Packs. Yeah. Which we also don't have in Canada, but we've heard of them. (laughs) (laughs) And all making me go back to AP government, you guys. Um, (laughs) so... It It is basically an underhanded way of attempting to get out of the fact that as it stands, Major League Baseball could lose their lawsuit, the lawsuit that has been brought against them by a class of former minor league baseball players seeking damn, you know, seeking basically for there to be a, a raising of wages in the minor leagues. Now, for for those of you who haven't been you know, really looking into this, minor leaguers make absolutely nothing. They, you know, you hear about the top, you know, 10 guys, top 20 guys who get these massive bonuses, but consider that some of those guys are coming out of college where the NCAA does not provide, the NCAA does not require or provide scholarships for more than 11 and a half players on a baseball team. Mm-hmm. So, Baseball players are not like football players who have their full scholarships for five years. Baseball players have a half scholarship or they have a quarter scholarship or they get told, well, you're a preferred walk on, which basically means we really want you and you might get some of a scholarship later, but we can't actually give you any money now. Lovely. You know, we we yep. want you to come play for us, but, you know, you, you're paying your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, you know. Some of these guys are coming out of really poor living situations, so they're taking that, you know, million and a half signing bonus they get and immediately applying it to house payments or applying it to car payments or applying it to debt. Um, And then that's that's not even counting the other, you know, 38 rounds of guys who are getting a thousand bucks in a plane ticket. And then they're making about a thousand a month. Yeah in low A or in short season. And then you get up to triple A and, you know, you maybe get put on the 40 or you spend your entire life, your entire career without being put on the 40 man, which you get a bonus, you get a bump in your pay the second you get put on the 40 man. Mm -hmm. So on average, a lot of these guys are making below the federally mandated minimum wage. Yes. And they're putting in these really long hours at the ballpark. Baseball is not just the three hours that you, the fan, show up, watch the game, get really drunk, and then go home. (laughs) Baseball is, in the minor leagues, the players usually, for a 7 o'clock game, the players will usually start arriving to the ballpark around 2. They'll work out, they'll warm up, they'll stretch, they'll, you know, maybe eat some food, you know, maybe have... You know, do some cage work. They'll have batting practice. You know, this is Frisco, so they'll they'll have a batting practice usually around four, 
And then, you know, five, six is more game prep. And the game starts at seven. Game goes from seven until 1030 at night. Then they go shower. Maybe there's a team meeting. Then sometimes they get on a bus and drive six hours to Midland to play a game at two in the afternoon. So we put it like they leave Frisco at 11 o'clock at night. You know, all the, you know, a team full of large athletic guys crammed onto a bus or, you know, a bus or two. I think it's I'm, I'm not certain how many buses they take, but, you know, it's usually one, which those buses are not big. And then they get off the bus at you know 5 a.m. if they're lucky, you know, in Midland. And then they have to play, you know, I, the one case I'm speaking specifically of is they have to play a two o'clock day game. So, so you're lots working. Of hours. So you're working. They got to the ballpark at two in the afternoon. They worked. They are quote unquote working, as in they are in the presence and employ of the club twenty four hours, and that's not even like that's like because you're on you're on the road. You're gonna go back to the hotel. You're gonna sleep. Or actually, you're going to get like one hour to drop your bags off and then you're going to go to the park because you have to start getting ready for the game that starts at two. Oh, for sure. Now, they don't usually usually hit before a day game. You know, teams don't usually hit before a day game. And there's, you know, you could probably grab like an hour nap or a two hour nap in there somewhere. Maybe. Basically, there's a a lot of hours in there. with. There's a lot of hours that a lot of people don't actually recognize or seem willing to give credence to in the public. Yes. And so that's basically what is trying to happen here from MLB standpoint and from this congressional thing that they're trying to not let well, any of these hours count towards like pay. To not pay. That's I mean, what, they don't really care about how they don't how they achieve it. They just don't want to pay them because. Correct. Heaven forbid we take money out of somebody's wallet. So my now, partner and I uh, came up with with. Some questions that, that where things don't seem to add up for us in, in this. And the first one, I guess, is uh, there was obviously the lawsuit that sort of spurred MLB to try and get some sort of loophole or some sort of um, something in their favor here. But what representative in their right mind would actually go to the floor with this? Like, what what would be the impetus? Other because than there a is payout? a fundamental because there's a fundamental misunderstanding here that I wish that I could put on a freaking plane banner and fly it around the U.S. The fundamental misunderstanding that MLB seems intent to perpetuate is that minor league clubs, so your family friendly local organization, are who paid the minor leaguers. Right. She didn't know this. It's it's implied in the representative. I cannot remember her name right now, but the representative who introduced the bill. She wasn't aware. Yeah, Sherry Bustos. Sherry Bustos wasn't aware or her team wasn't aware. Somebody wasn't aware of the fact that minor league clubs do not pay minor league players. They do not pay minor league managers. They do not play pay minor league trainers. They do not pay the, you know, the video guy. They don't pay those bills that is on the major league club the major league club which i might remind you brings in a whole lot of money and sometimes spends it on guys like albert pujols (laughs) yes so this is preying on that misunderstanding that is prevalent across the entirety of the u.s is that oh well but 
this would kill baseball. This is what they want. This is this was what is in press releases. This is what is in speech. This is that underlying thought that if we pay minor leaguers a living wage, if we pay them a fair wage, this will kill baseball. When it won't, it just won't. Now, here's but, my question. Mm-hmm. Given all that, how does baseball get away with, in their statement, saying minor league clubs could not afford these massive player costs? When because anybody who's reading that will know that that's complete garbage. They won't know, though. You would not believe the number of people on Twitter because the thing Sorry, is— Sorry, I meant anybody in the baseball community. Because they don't care about the baseball community because we're tiny comparatively and we don't spend that damn much. Right. Because the people that they care about are— the ones, you know, they're Joe Blow who gets angry, you know, Joe Blow who claps for Jose Reyes and gets angry when, you know, I don't know, J.P. Crawford doesn't know Nick Williams doesn't run out of ground ball. And spends, you know, money and money and money. To get his limited edition stars and stripes hat. Right. Those are the people who have no idea. They're the people who think that, oh, well, you're playing a sport for a living. Therefore, you don't actually need to, you know, feed yourself. You want to know why Chipotle is so popular among minor leaguers? Because it's cheap and it's mm-hmm. protein because you can get filled up for a day on a burrito, you know, the size of your face that you've only paid like five bucks for. So given all of what you've just said, mm-hmm. one of the points that MLB tried to make in their completely tone deaf statement was when they said, like other professionals, artists, musicians, etc. <laughs> yes. Sorry, sorry. I'm I, I majored in music. Yes. So so that that's a particularly laugh worthy statement to me. All right. Well, we'll we'll let the laughs carry some weight there. But it is simply impractical to treat professional athletes as hourly employees whose pay may be determined by such things as how long their games last, when they choose to arrive at the ballpark, etc., etc. Now There's no choosing. You get cut if you don't show up. Right. Now, the question that I have for you then is given, though, that there is variability in that, what is the solution? Is it just to increase uh, the minimum pay or is it to actually pay an hourly wage? Because that would theoretically create different wages for guys at the same level, would it not? Well, different guys at the same level have different wages anyway. Well, but guys that are doing the same work and would normally be paid the same amount. Well, guys, are they're doing the same. You know, your 14 year minor league veteran is making more. He's still not making enough, but he is making more. Than you're just call up. So there is a difference in pay scale there. Um, your your guy that bounces between double A and triple A. Is going to make more because he has that triple A thing than a guy that just gets stuck in double A and you see him five times in a row. Right. But I'm saying if you have two guys that walk in in the exact same situation, you might end up with different pay scales for them if one guy's forced to come in earlier for a game or one guy chooses to come in earlier. Well, yes. I think it's and just so their point, I don't right? Think, I don't think people are, well, yes, but they're also obfuscating because they're, you know, saying that, oh, well, they don't have to come in early for games. They could just show up and play three hours, which right. is not true. I'm not, I, I get the what they're saying the is completely that, disingenuous. What, what the, yes. But the, the thing that, uh, as I believe, the lawsuit is trying is trying to actually get a fair wage, not an hourly wage, but uh. a fair wage. We use we use hourly, though, because the federally mandated minimum wage is in the terms of hourly. And it is really easy to get across to people who, you know, 
the the idea of this is what they're making conceptually hourly. So it's I, I don't think anybody has seriously suggested going to an hourly wage for minor leaguers. Got it. Um, but it is easier to conceptualize, you know, a thousand two hundred dollars a month as below the minimum wage. Indeed. So I guess the, the next question that I, I'm thinking about is, obviously they don't have a union of their own, but I would have thought that the Major League Baseball Players Union would have a vested interest in its future members um, at least supporting because, them in some way. This is, this is why, this all goes back to why hazing is still a thing, because you can be against the club until you're in the club, but because you had to work so hard to get into the club, you then don't want to devalue your own work by saying, oh, well, you know, I, you know, this is, this is something, this is why you still see instances of hazing and stuff like that is because once you, once you get into the club, it becomes very tempting to be like, oh, well, but if you don't do what I did and, you know, and then it gets escalated, if you don't do what I did, then that devalues my position in the club. I just see if you got it easy. I understand that the whole thing is that these it it doesn't matter to MLB, the MLBPA, because these are not major leaguers. And once they become major leaguers, then it's very easy to look back and say, oh, well, but I grind, you know, I I ground my way through the minors. I made it work. Why shouldn't they have to make it work? I just see that if I'm an opportunistic labor lawyer, there's a lot of money in union dues across several levels of minor leagues that that i could be uh getting my cut of if i went to bat for these people well and that's why there's a lawsuit that's currently winding its way through the u.s justice system but the major league baseball players association is there for major league baseball players they do have a hand in the uh draft system but that's the only time that they really step in now this could change in the future I don't know what I don't know what this lawsuit's going to do. I don't know what the backlash the bill is going to do. I don't know what the, you know, increased noise and everything like that. But as it sounds right, as it stands right now, there is not a vested interest for the MLBPA to go to bat for these guys. Because even if you're taking because what is what is one percent of twelve hundred a month? You know, yep. I don't I, I I I'm purely speculating here, but it'd be really easy to say, oh, well, but we're not making them pay, you know, union dues. So that's that's more money back in their pockets every month. Right. Get another specious argument. All right. So I think we kind of surrounded the topic, although I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about it in the near future. So at this point. I I usually like to thank people for uh, helping inform our listeners and ask them if they would like to plug their Twitter account. Well, uh, I, you know, enjoy getting come on here and rant. If you enjoy rants or, you know, (laughs) enjoy self-promotion or something like that, I can be found at Unlikely Fanatic. It's all one word. I my profile picture of me holding a sword. If I'm not holding a sword, then. You're on the wrong footer. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah. And we can also find your work on Baseball Prospectus, and you wrote about this, which we'll link to on our podcast page. Yep. So go read Kate's stuff there. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Thank you, Kate Morrison, for joining us tonight. And we will talk Thank to you, you again in the future. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Bye. And there you have it, Kate Morrison, and a whole lot of info about a whole lot of unfair treatment of people who really... It's basically a giant do-over. Yeah, which they're not going to do over on this podcast or anywhere else, are they? God, no. <laughs> no, they're, they're going to dig their heels in and hope that it, the problem for them goes away, I think. Uh, okay, we have very interested listeners this week. Or, uh, I don't know, maybe they put their thinking caps on last week. I'm not sure. I think people just like doing stuff when the Jays are winning. (laughs) (laughs) That might have something to do with it. Okay, the big raft of questions. Uh, We should start with the old question first, because uh, we just realized we promised to answer something, and we never answered it. Yeah, we're big jerks. It's my fault. Yeah. So, yeah, Josh Coles sent in a a question two podcasts ago well he missed the so between the last two podcasts and uh, he said he watched the Arizona broadcast in MLB TV and Bob Brenly mentioned the Jays sign stealing and asked why is it still a thing well basically it's still a thing because people are paranoid and don't believe they're as bad as they are when the Jays torch them (laughs) I mean that's the answer yeah I mean other than every team tries to get as much information as it possibly can about the other team. Yeah, I mean, you should steal signs when we're on second base. If you're not trying, you're not doing it right. There's a reason catchers go into sequences. Yeah, and it's like if a guy's tipping his pitches, same deal. You don't walk up to him and go, hey, you're tipping your pitches until the series is over. (laughs) Yeah, so the the main question here was like, when will it end? Sadly, I don't think it will. I mean, ever since that stupid man in white story came out, it's just a crutch for everybody, and it's going to be around for, I would guess, at least a few more years. Yeah, probably. Even though, like, most of the management team has now changed, and half the players have, apparently they still employ the same man in white. <laughs> all right. And, all the, and for somehow all these players who've moved on to other teams haven't said anything. Never broke that code. Yeah. The great Blue Jays silence. Um, okay. So, question two is from our friend Ian Hunter, the Blue Jay Hunter, uh, who we did have play swing and a drive with us, did we not? Yes, we so did. He, just, he decided he'd also like to appear on the questions section of the podcast. Who do you see as potential trade chips on the Jays' 40-man or minor league system? We've had some similar questions, but now we're getting serious because we're in July. Yeah, and we're getting July, and the Jays are clearly contenders, which I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody. But so I think that the answer to this question is just really depends on what they're going for, right? But we're asking for chips. No one on the 25-man will be you know, in, in consideration for anybody else, 40 man guys, you're looking at really, it's just Dalton Pompey, I would think. And yeah. I, he has to be in play. I think if you want someone big, but then you go down below, you're going to get a lot of guys like Connor green, Sean Reed Foley, uh, cause some of the, the draft picks from last year who are going to start to become available. Like my AC, you know, there's guys, I don't, I would be surprised if they traded Rowdy to but those are what you're looking at. And then there's a bunch of those low, low A and, and, you know, short season A arms, which they're used to acquire guys like Mark Lowe and Ben Revere. So there's going to be a bunch of guys like that. The Jays have the pieces, despite what everybody seems to want to tell us. The question is, will what they need be out there, I guess, is the bigger question. Yeah. We'll find that out as other teams fall out of it, right? What do we got next? 
Okay, so this kind comes from Olerud's helmet at Olerud's helmet. Why is Travis batting ninth? Why Martin ahead of Tulo? Um, I think Travis is batting ninth because he's well, he's not a rookie rookie, but he's the the rookie. Uh, and I'm guessing John Gibbons likes to go off of two or three games worth of results. Uh, and Ezekiel Carrera has been good in the leadoff spot, uh, mm-hmm. or better than good. And he wants to leave Josh Donaldson batting second because that's what Josh Donaldson has been doing since they juggled the lineup around with everything else. And it uh, obviously you get as many at bats for Josh Donaldson as possible. I'm not going to argue with that. And then everything falls in line down there. So I think that barring something really poor happening to uh, Ezekiel Guerrera or Travis absolutely absolutely catching on fire i don't think you're going to see that change that's from my observations of mr gibbons why is martin ahead of tulo because i'm guessing he doesn't want to put any mental pressure on tulo to be a you know a middle of the order hitter anymore i don't know well i I think there could be a couple reasons one martin is hitting really well now too which seems to have escaped a lot of people's notice because both their numbers are still garbage but i think that they could be something of one they're hitting well so why change it but two, Martin is getting on base, and Tulo is the power threat. So you have Encarnacion, who is the big RBI power threat, and you go Saunders and Martin to get back on base for Tulo, who's the next big power threat. I, I think that it requires a, a bunch of optimism to ever make up a lineup, because all I ever see is the two thirds of a time a guy generally makes an out. But. Yeah, but I mean, but that would be at least the the logical reason to do it. I'm not saying there is logical reason, but that would be the one. All right. Uh, next question I have from uh, Lauren Simmons at Lauren Dorfin. Um, does Gibby actually leave starting pitchers in too long or does the bullpen just suck? <laughs> I like well, these people don't put too fine a point on it, do they? Yeah. Well, in the early parts of the season, it was definitely the latter. Mm-hmm. You know, he just let, he was leaving the starters in forever because... Well, there were two reasons. The, the offense wasn't giving them enough of a lead to go to the bullpen, and the bullpen couldn't hold a close lead. hmm <laughs> And beyond that, I don't really think he's leaving his starters in too long anymore. I haven't seen the instance of it really lately. Uh, no, I, I, rarely does the starter have the responsibility for giving up the lead, other than maybe Strowman and, and uh, some of his weak, weak points where late in the no, game... Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I assume the impetus for this question was today, where Strowman gave up the lead in the eighth. He threw 77 pitches. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and, and there was nothing to indicate that he was even giving up fly balls. Like you said, 14 ground ball outs. So the, mm-hmm. the only big fly ball was out of the yard. And are we talking about this if that's four feet short of the fence? Nope. We're not even saying anything about it. And, and, I, and the bullpen has sucked. Like, th- th- there was a point... Um, a couple about a week ago, where it was clear that the only guy that Gibbons seemed to trust was Roberto Osuna and Jason Grilly. Yeah, and he, I Grilly's think he, the setup guy now, which is just so weird. Hey, he's got twenty-one strikeouts in eleven innings. He'll take it. Yeah, that Grilly. He he walks people. He uh, doesn't. It, his fly ball rate is insanely high. Like he's like twenty-four percent ground ball rate. Um, so there's clearly things to exploit, but if you need a guy to strike somebody out, I would absolutely, I'd bring Jason Grilly into the game. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yep. Ah. Okay. So here's one for you. This is from 
Dave. Oh, it was a Goss. He corrected us one Ghost, time. Ghost, I believe. Dave. Okay. Um, who's the trashiest team in the league, and why is it the Royals? <laughs> <laughs> you give me the tough questions. I I don't. I, well, it could be the Royals because they they have a guy who's actively. They have a guy who made Manny Machado look like the reasonable option. <laughs> well, those are the two teams that are in the conversation here. Yes. And and in when they went head to head, Manny Machado looked more like the victim who was yep. being reasonable. So in that, that's why it's the Royal. Is because we we, we put them face to face and we saw who was the uh the worst offender right up there. Um and then he didn't get punished as much as the guy who who charged him out on the mound trying to defend his body, which I think is just silly. Did we give MLB a do-over for that suspension? For the Machado for suspending one? a starting pitcher for whatever nine games, which is one start. Yeah, well, we talked about the silliness of it. No official do-over. Maybe we should have. Next is uh, Derek at OK underscore blue underscore Jays. Is Smoke's lack of playing time lately a result of him slumping or Gibby using the DH spot to give some starters a bit of a rest? Both? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he, he he's not hitting right now. And Ezekiel Carrera is. And Devin Travis was. And, he, and Barney was hitting better than Justin Smoke. So it's like, okay, well, I can put Donaldson in at DH, I can Knesset at first, and use Darren Barney. Or today, Junior Lake in right field, Knesset at first, and Smoke sits. I, so I think That's, that... Smoke did have... Close. He was a little banged up there for a few days, wasn't he? He was, but he's also... His numbers have gone way down <laughs> since the early parts of the season. Which is the Justin Smoke that every Seattle Mariners fan was familiar with. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, and but it is. I imagine that both of them sort of have a hand in each other. When you're not playing, it's hard to hit. True. So it's kind of the a self fulfilling old, thing. The old adage. Uh, next. So this one comes from Jay's Chatter. How much will Saunders make this off season? Uh, I think it remains to be seen if he actually remains healthy for an entire season. Because I, I. I don't want to remind everybody, but most of Saunders' injuries come from places that the last injury did not come from, but they still come. So I hope that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. A healthy Michael Saunders, I think, is is due for that uh, mid-tier, you know, when you hear about 470, 480, 590 kind of contract. God, I can't see him getting five years. I don't think so either. I, th- I think he's in the three to four year range, but I, I think it's big money. All yeah, he has to do is this. Yeah, keep it steady and stay healthy and someone will look at the rather thin free agent market and not want to pay uh, Encarnacion or Bautista. And there's not a lot out there from my understanding. No, there isn't. It's basically the next tier is, well, Cispus is with those first two guys and then it's like Josh Reddick and Saunders. And Saunders is better here than Josh Reddick. Yeah. So there's 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 money out there that is begging to be spent. So Michael Saunders will pick up some of it, providing he can demonstrate that he can put together a 550 to 600 plate appearance season. Yep. 
do 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 so we have one for you i think more specifically which is uh from colleen evans at colleen evans six uh who is a frequent listener to the podcast i'm sure how common is the use of quote illegal unquote substances by mlb pitchers in your opinion uh do any jays pitchers make it a habit it's extremely common almost all of them do it I, I don't know specifically which Jays pitchers do it, but I guarantee you some of them do. Now, we're talking about primarily, I'm guessing, number one is pine tar, and it's readily no, I would, available. I wouldn't say it's necessarily pine tar. Uh, it could be things like just any kind of sticky substance just to help you get a grip on the ball. I mean, basically, these substances are illegal in, in the sense of when you're – the idea is that you apply them to the baseball and make it move differently. But the practice is just that people use it to get a grip which really the league should have encouraged so the guys aren't getting hit in the head. I mean, why do you allow rosin bags but not allow some, you know, like some pine tar on your hat to grab? Or in the case of a certain Yankees pitcher on his neck, which got him a 10-game suspension. His name is Pineda. <laughs> How perfect was that? Yeah. Uh, but really, I think this is just a non-story. Yeah, it, it, people like to make it a big one. Who cares? Well, I think it's interesting because... Um, I'm not trying to minimize the question. I just meant in terms no. of like the way that people focus on it in the media. It's like, oh, he's got something on his arm. He's got something on his hat. Yeah, he's just trying to grip the ball. I, I think it's a curiosity because the, it, there is the possibility that he's doing more than just gripping the ball. Or, or that perhaps if even to enhance his grip, is he really doing something that he doesn't have the talent to do because he's using something else? You follow me? Like I do, it, but usually it's a situation where the elements demand it, where it's too cold or it's too humid and the ball's going to slip. Which is why Clay Buckholz looks like he has taken an oil <laughs> bath before he walks onto the mound at the indoor Rogers Center. Right. <laughs> and when you see guys putting on sunscreen when the roof is up. <laughs> <laughs> see that? I don't know how much the, the, the climate conditions are a problem there. Again, I, it seems like somebody's trying to leverage something a little more than just um to level the playing field seems like someone's trying to gain an advantage and obviously since there's written rules about not trying to gain that advantage it becomes a head scratcher even for me i i'm not a pitcher right so i'm just like mm, i don't get it a lot going on there yeah but they don't enforce it so keep doing it who cares uh so we did have one more question from quinn uh and quinn asked us specifically could dan shulman um, do all of the games and replace Buck Martinez. And I, I think... Uh, replace perhaps, or join. Replace Pat, he said. Yeah. I'm sure it's Buck, though. And, and just for this, we, we had something that I think leads into uh, a question about Buck Martinez and, and whether you want to keep him around from this weekend. This was pointed out to me by one person, then I looked for it on Twitter, and there were a lot of comments about Buck Martinez saying this about a Troy Tulowitzki autograph session. Troy was very accommodating to a group of wheelchair people that were down on the field as well, and signed autographs and made their day. Now, Oof. <laughs> I, I have trouble with the politically correct terminology for lots of groups of people. But wheelchair people is not a descriptor that ever comes to mind as it's going to work. And if you, if you listen, you can almost hear Buck contemplating whether that's going to come out right or not. Did you, did you catch it? 
<laughs> with a little hesitation. Would you like, would you like chair, to, We're, we're going to play it one more time because not long. Troy was very accommodating to a group of one wheelchair people that were down <laughs> on the field as well. There's just there's one second where he thinks this this will be fine. I don't think it's fine. <laughs> it's just me. So, uh, uh, I think we would generally say special needs people. Would that be fair? Well, yeah, so they just... Is that, why is that, that an appropriate sort of blanket term when you don't know exactly why the people might have been on the field um, and, and, you know, in a group like that? Would special needs seem to be fair? The safe term? Yes, I suppose. Differently abled, I think, is something that you should not say. You should not say? I think, I th- I think that that's <laughs> offensive. Okay. Really, I, think, I think they get that. But one thing you should definitely not be saying is wheelchair people. <laughs> we don't know what to say, but we know, we know it's wrong when we hear it. So, uh, Buck, that is actually uh, a do-over for you. You can come on the show. You can say any other politically correct term. Uh, for folks who are uh, in wheelchairs and that Troy Tulowitzki was nice enough to sign autographs for his fans. Um, and we By the will... way, this is like, this, this is the, <laughs> what the do-over was originally made for, right? He's speaking off the cuff, no, off the cuff yeah. right? And he couldn't think of the words. <laughs> and he, and he chose them. the really wrong ones. <laughs> um, back to Quinn's question. Uh, the reason that Dan Shulman can't do 162 games is because he has a real job for a bigger network yeah he's espn's go-to guy so uh we're glad he's here for any time whatsoever and for the record i like it when he and buck are together i have always loved buck as a color guy i've never wavered from that i've loved him ever since he was with jim hewson which is before he was with dan shulman cbc tsn Oh, that's right. Yeah, Houston did CBC games later with Jesse Barfield and Ransom Allen. It was a train wreck. Um, because, yeah, so- Je- because Jesse Barfield mentioned the Nutty Buddy at every possible opportunity. Do you remember that? I do. And, and Rance Smallnix would have a habit of, <laughs> so how are we doing? Like, he just cut off in the middle of a sentence and forget what he was talking about. <laughs> but the announce team, you know, we, we rag on them a lot. It is hard. Oh, yeah. Dan Dan Shulman is the best. So we would love him to be around more, but it's just not going to happen. Absolutely. So, uh, after it, and no one, I bet you, who is under 30 knows what the nutty buddy is or what the heck I'm talking about. So we'll probably get a question about that next week. Um, I will leave it to you to have a final thought, sir. It's not going to be about Estrada, whose streak ended. So it sort of was. Um, It's actually Troy Tulisky. We mentioned how well he was hitting lately, but he completed something that not many people get to do. By homering against Colorado, which obviously it was on the list of ones that he needed, and then Cleveland, he has now hit a home run against all 30 Major League teams. Super cool. Yeah. So congratulations to you, Mr. Tudelwitzki. Uh, If we are going to do final thoughts with records, I'm actually going to give a shout out to Rajai Davis who hit for the cycle against Toronto in that 9-6 loss, which we forgot to mention in the highlights. Um, <laughs> yeah. The cycle's just unusual. It's not a, a, a great thing in my mind, but... Uh, it was an Ezekiel Carrera-aided cycle. <laughs> well, you, you always... Everybody needs a little regular little arm Zeke. Um, uh, I found out something else interesting 
again, I forget who it was on Twitter, but um, did you know that Rajay Davis actually has the walk-off cycle? He has a walk-off single, double, triple, and home run in his career. That's pretty cool. How do you get a walk-off triple? How slow is that guy? The guy in front of you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm just saying. That is pretty hard. Uh, All right. On that note, um, you have been Joshua Housem. At Joshua Housem. I have been uh, Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. Uh, Our guest was Kate Morrison of Baseball Prospectus at Unlikely Fanatic. And this has been episode 19 of the Artificial Turf Wars podcast. We will see you next week. Mm